Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says this, Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. And God permitting, we will do so. I know it just seems like three verses, but there's some really, really good truth here. And so we're going to do this the same way we've done it every week, and we're going to do it by framing our conversation with, with, with a banner or with a lesson. And here's our lesson this morning. I want you to see Jesus is better than the basics. Jesus is better than the basics. And just two things that I want to share with you quickly. And here's the first, ready? Every follower of faith needs a, every follower needs a firm foundation to their faith. See, it's a tongue twister. I can't even say it. Uh, check out the alliteration there. Every follower needs a firm foundation for their faith. Nine words, five Fs. Every follower needs a firm foundation for their faith faith. And you just look at verse 1 and 2. It it says, let us leave the elementary teachings. That phrase literally means the beginning teachings or the the first place teachings, the primary teachings or or doctrines about Jesus. And it goes on to say, not laying again the the foundation. And here's the point I want you to see. Guys, even the early church, remember this is just 40 years uh, or so, give or take, um, after Christ's death and resurrection. They already had basic beliefs that every believer um, had as their foundation for faith. This early on, this early church already had kind of the ABCs of their Christianity. And you think about that in in context, right? The ABCs. Think about elementary school. You think about kindergarten leading into elementary. What do we do in kindergarten? We teach the ABCs. And what are the ABCs? They're the foundation for what become words unto us. And then eventually we figure out how to take those words and and write sentences. And then we figure out punctuation, and now we're writing paragraphs. And once we get paragraphs down and and thought processes, now we're writing essays. And after essays, pretty soon we're writing papers, and papers turn into books, and yada, yada, yada. But it all comes back to the same foundation. As we talked about last week, here's here's the picture that we get. This group of people, though they should have graduated spiritual college, evidently are asking for a remedial uh, revisitation of the ABCs. Just let that sink in. And, 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 and to that, our author is issuing this warning. And so he warned him last week, listen, don't be lazy. And this week he's going to say, listen, you, you've really got to grow up. You've got to be more mature than this. But he does something really cool in doing so. He gives us, you don't get this very often in the New Testament. We get a peek inside, take away the veil of what the early church believed. And, and, and here's what he gives six things. They're in two pairs. Here's the ABCs of what the early Christians believed, okay? Number one, repentance from, from dead works, right? That's where they started, repentance from dead works. Now, where did they come? They came from Judaism. Everything is workspace. We've got to earn it. We've got we've to earn God's favor. We, we've got to save ourselves. We've got to be morally pure and morally perfect. We just took communion. That's the new covenant. It's called grace because you can't earn it, right? And, and, and so you think they start here. What's the gospel? You can't save yourself. This is where the gospel begins. So what does that lead to then? The next thing is faith in God, right? And you think about all the early sermons, Acts, uh, when Peter is preaching, right? The Holy Spirit comes upon Peter and he begins, what does he say? He says, repent. Well, what does repentance mean? It means from, to turn from dead works and to turn to God. He says, so you've got to believe in God. This is the heart of the gospel of the New Testament, right? Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace that you're saved through what? Faith. 
It's belief in God. And those two are intrinsically linked, right? So you've got to repent from dead works, from trying to save yourself, and you've got to turn to uh, believing in Jesus. Now, what, what's the natural follow of that? Well, again, according to the New Testament pattern, then it's baptism. It's baptism. That's the third thing that they talk about. They talk about baptism. And, and, and why is that important? Well, what does Peter say when he preaches? The men say, what, what must we do to be saved? Well, you need to repent, right? Believe and be baptized, be baptized. Now, that means a few things. That means that that baptism is always after conversion. You notice that you don't find people in the New Testament being baptized before they're saved. You got to get saved and then you're baptized as a symbol of that salvation and new life that's happened to you. So they're baptized after so it's post-conversion and they believe this and they taught this, right? The fourth thing is laying on of hands. Now, this is a little different because uh, all these have parallels with Judaism, by the way. Ceremonial washings in Judaism were washed in Christ, baptism, right? All these things have, have, have parallels, right? So laying on of hands in Judaism, what was that like? Well, the priest would lay his hand upon the animal that was about to be sacrificed, and, 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 and supposedly he would infer the, the guilt and sin to that animal that then would be slain, and then your sins are paid for, right? Now, here, follow me. We're not laying our hands on Jesus. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't, don't, don't go with that one. Uh, in fact, in Christianity, it's completely different because Jesus has laid his hand on you. Right? And he has inferred to you not sin and not guilt, but righteousness and goodness, right? And, and, and joy and love and peace and patience. So, so he's inferred unto us this great goodness. And so in the New Testament, the laying on of hands became something very different. They would lay hands on people to set them apart as holy. This happened with Paul and Barnabas, set apart to go be missionaries. And so they would often lay hands on people for that reason. Also, uh, it, it, a lot of times we find that laying on hands has to do with, with the Holy Spirit, right? And there are some play, people that think, well, then you have to lay on hands to receive the Spirit. That's not the case because there are many places in the New Testament where somebody uh, was saved. They, they believed in Jesus, received the Holy Spirit, and then somebody laid hands on them. It's just a practice of the early church to teach this, okay? So we're repenting from dead works. We're turning to faith and belief in Jesus. And we're following that up with baptism. By the way, I would tell you there's a marked difference in the lives of people that actually get baptized and those that don't. There's a, there's a marked difference in the lives of people that actually get baptized and then, then don't. We can talk about that here in a little bit. So then it's laying on of hands. Then, then what's next? Resurrection, right? He says the resurrection is one of those ABCs. Why is that? Again, they're coming out of Judaism. Judaism, kind of two camps. You've got the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, and then you've got the Sadducees. And remember, the Pharisees believed in resurrection, but the Sadducees did not, which is why they're very... Sad, you see, because that's all there is to life is what you're living and then it's gone. Okay, so they said, listen, no, this Jesus that we preach is the same Jesus that was killed. He was buried and he rose again and he's alive and he's alive, which leads right into that last one. You see how these pairs are working together because Jesus is alive. He is coming back. He's coming back, and when he comes back, he's going to judge the world. And there's going to be two groups of people. There's going to be sheep, and there's going to be goats. And those that know him, those that have heard his voice, he's their good shepherd. They're going to be his sheep, but those that don't, they will perish, and they will spend eternity where there's great weeping and gnashing of teeth, and there are no second chances. These are the basic set of beliefs that the early church, these were their ABCs. And I can't help but think about, about this church 40 years after Christ's death and what their basic set of beliefs were and what made the modern-day church's basic set of beliefs are. And I think we've got some catching up to do, amen? These were the ABCs. This was foundation. There's a sermon in there about, about uh, what that means for us. But I, I, just, I, I want you to see this. This is really important. 
God's, God's big on firm foundations. That's what I want you to see. God's, God's really big on, on firm foundations. Firm foundations are, are really crucial. And, and we see that all throughout the Bible. I'm just going to give you two examples, but there's probably 20. So here we go. Number one, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verse 11 through 14 says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it into light. Uh, it'll be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. So, uh, talking about building, talking about foundations. Matthew chapter 7, we have this, Jesus speaking. says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams arose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams arose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Every follower needs a firm foundation for their faith. God is is big on firm foundations. Okay, we'll start there. Second thing I want you to see, ready? While God is big on firm foundations... He's not big on bare foundations. God's not big on, on bare foundations. And, and again, verse 1, it says, let us leave the, the elementary teachings. It goes on, it says, let, not laying again the foundation. And what he's saying to these folks, guys, it's time to build, right? The foundation has been laid. It is, it's time to build, okay? Anybody like history? Let's do a little history lesson this morning. Ready? History. Here we go. Uh, 606, 605 B.C., uh, Babylonian captivity. This is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, all those, all those people taken away, right? So Babylon comes, conquers, all taken away in captivity. Now, 539, remember we're walking towards zero, 539, Persia conquers Babylon. guy named Cyrus uh, takes over. And Cyrus issues a decree in 538, and he says, listen, go home. Jews, go home. You, you go back, he even actually gives them some, some seed money. You go back and start life again. So they go back. Now in 536 uh, is where our text is going to be. In Ezra chapter 3, it's now 536 BC. The Jews have returned to Jerusalem and, and this monumentous day is happening. They are rebuilding the temple and they are laying the foundation. And it is this, this great meshing and mixture that is wrought with, with raw emotion. And I just want you to hear, try to feel what these people must be feeling. After being gone from captivity for so long, after the temple being destroyed, they're now coming back and they're laying the foundation of the new temple. And just read this with me. It says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with their trumpets and the Levites and the son of Asaph with the cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as Prescribed by, by David, king of Israel. Check this out. This is awesome. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord. He is good. His love towards Israel endures for it. We still sing that song. We still sing that song. That's awesome, right? And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But get this. But many older priests... And Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sounds of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. 536 B.C. 
Okay, again, walking towards zero. Now, we're going to fast forward 16 years to 520 BC, and you guys are going to look with me in your Bibles, and we're going to read this uh, together, okay? So we're going to go to the book of Haggai. So find Matthew, and then go backwards. You're going to Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, okay? So we're in Haggai chapter 1. We're going to read this together. Really, really cool stuff. Again, 16 years later, uh, Haggai chapter 1. I'm going I'm to start in verse 2. 16 years since the foundation is laid. And it says this, Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Then, verse 3, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. And why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains and the grains and the new wine and the oil, whatever the ground produces uh, on men and cattle and labor of your hands." God is clearly not pleased with the foundation of the temple laying bare. Clearly. 16 years, they laid it, it's laid bare, and, and, and God's a little upset. He's a little upset. He's, he's not big on, on, on bare foundations. Now, here's the, the proper question for you to be thinking right now, because we're all inquiring minds and we want to know. Here's the, here's the, the winner, winner chicken dinner question of the morning. Ready? Pastor, what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us? And I'm so glad you asked. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. This is what it says. It says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a what? A temple, a holy temple in the Lord, and in him you too are being built together, built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Saying in Christ, we too are being made into a temple. That's what that passage has to do with you. You too are a temple, and this is what I need you to see. Write this down, okay? It's in your notes. Just as God wasn't a fan of his foundation laying bare, just as God wasn't a fan of his foundation laying bare, he's not a fan of your faith laying bare. Just as God was not a fan of his foundation laying bare, he's not a fan of your faith laying bare because you are meant to be built up into a temple. Okay? In fact, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, it says this. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess all these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in, in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, another way to say that 
is that we are supposed to build onto our faith goodness. And then we are supposed to build onto our goodness knowledge. And then we are supposed to build onto our knowledge self-control. And then we are supposed to build onto that self-control perseverance. And then on top of that perseverance, godliness. And then broken kindness and this love. And, and friends, that is the heart of Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. You're meant for more. You're meant for maturity. God did not save you so that you could just know the basics about him. He wants to build you into a great, holy, living temple that will bring glory to him. Okay? That's the plan. That's the plan. So what do you do then? When you start to, under, when you start to get that kind of thing, that, that, wait a second, so God saved me, and God saved me so that I could bring him glory by being a temple, a living temple unto him. How, wh- like, where do we go from there? Because that, that all of a sudden kind of shatters our own thoughts about reality. Well, here's what we do, okay? Number one. We, we, we've got to firm up the first principles. Man, guys, we, we've just got to, we've absolutely got to firm up the first principles. When, when you look at that early church and what their ABCs were, and you look at the church today, and we're kind of, la, 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 you know? I mean, you, we, we've just, we've got to firm them up. And what are they, right? That, that you, you, it's impossible to be saved by your works. You can't save yourself, right? You start there. So you've got to believe in Jesus, right? Who's perfect. He lived a perfect life, the life that you couldn't. And so you've got to believe in him. And there's no other name under heaven and earth by which man can be saved. Jesus Christ. He, he says, I am the way, the truth, and life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. So it's not about what you think or what you feel or what you want. It's about what God says. And God says that, that we are sinners and and, and that our fellowship with God is broken. And the only way that that can be restored is by Jesus, our sacrifice. We can't do it on our own. We need Jesus, right? How, what, what results when we, when we put our faith and trust in Christ? Then what should we do? We should be baptized. That's what you should do. And, and, and I'm here to tell you, I say this in love again. There's a marked difference. I've been doing ministry now 15 years, okay? 10 years youth ministry, almost five years as your pastor. There's a marked difference in the lives of people that have been baptized after they've been saved versus those that have not. And I meet a lot of people, maybe they were baptized when they were six or seven, but they didn't really get Jesus until they were like uh, 14, 15, 18, 28, right? But they never follow up that conversion because that's really when they got Jesus. They never followed up with baptism. And you know what they do? They're like this their whole life. I just don't know if I'm saved or not. I just don't know. I don't know what's going on. You know what I say to them? You've got to nail it down. So nail it down with baptism, right? And, and, and this, is, this is a part of what we believe. What's next? God has set you apart and given you, empowered you with his spirit. That's what's next. The laying on of hands, right? God has laid his hands upon you. And he says, you are righteous and you are holy. And he's the one that makes you holy and gives you power. And, and, and it's just, a, it's a huge deal, right? It's not about your own willpower anymore. Do you understand what that means? If you're a Christian and, and when you accept Christ, you get the Holy Spirit now suddenly you get God's power. It's not up to you. Hallelujah. Praise, glory. You know, I dance a little jig. Amen. Because my willpower stinks. Right? I mean, I can't, I'm like, I'm not going to eat sugar this week. Oh, that chocolate cake looks so good. One little bite won't hurt. Oh, I ate half the pan, darling. It's cool. I'll work out next week, you know, and just whatever. And, and we, we, we stink in willpower, but you know what? God gives you his power. You don't need willpower because he, he gives you his power. Here's the difference. I heard this story this week. Judah Smith, uh, great pastor, he was telling this illustration. He says it's from Paul. Uh, Paul prays in Ephesus uh, or in Ephesians chapter 1 for the people of Ephesus. He, he prays this prayer. He doesn't pray that life will get better. He doesn't pray that they'll be blessed. He doesn't, he, this is what he prays. He, he prays that God would increase their awareness of him. 
That's what he prays. This long, big prayer, Ephesians chapter 1, he says, listen, I pray that you would be more aware of the presence of God in your life. Now, now why does he pray that? This is pretty cool. This is power, right? Because uh, our, our do-it-yourself nature, where we always try to do it, and we fail, and we feel miserable, and like nobody's, well, guess what? We can't do it, but here's, here's the glory. He says, listen, uh, when I was a teenager, I went and saw a movie at the movies, and I thought it was awesome. And it was like such a great flick. Me and my friends enjoyed it so much. It's so good. I told my dad about it. I was like, Dad, this movie's so amazing. So we had like a little father-son movie night. We went and rented the VHS. You guys remember those? VCRs, right? Okay. Young, young kids with VHS, what the? Um, and you stick it in. It was a tape. And, and anyway, so you stuck in the VHS. And he said, popped in the VHS. And sat down with dad. And we're eating popcorn. And we're watching the movie. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this movie that I remember hanging out with my friends three months ago was so good. Now in the presence of my father, who happens to be a pastor, by the way, this scene pops up in the movie that I didn't remember. And it was of some extremely questionable nature. And he said, oh, it just happened immediately to me. I jumped from, I leapt from the couch. And like up over to the VC and hit eject and the thing popped out. Dad, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And he says, you know what the difference was? He says, three months ago, I was on my own and I was by myself and I thought that that was good. But suddenly when I was in the presence of my father. Suddenly when I was in the presence, when I was aware of my father's presence, it changed everything. You have your Father's presence living in you. And if you'll be aware of it, it will change everything. It'll change everything. That is our source of power. God himself, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We move on and we begin to then understand what it means that Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Like he is, he is not dead, which means he hears me and he sees me and he knows me, which means he's not inactive, which means that he really is sitting on a throne right now, actively sitting on a throne, beckoning me to run to the throne of grace so that I can receive grace and mercy in my time of need, that I may not get the healing that I want, but I always get what's better. I get him, I get help, and he always says, my grace is sufficient for you, my child. And my God is actively alive, doling out grace and mercy freely. It's huge. We've got to get that. And not only that, my God is coming back and he is setting all things right. Listen, I know that this stuff is hard. We've got people that are suffering, but you know what? It's just, it, it's, it's just a blip on the radar of eternity. If we suffer for the rest of our lives, amen, one day everything's going to be set right and there's going to be glory and there'll be no more hurt and no more pain and no more disease and no more death and no more divorce. You know what I'm saying? And all things will be made right because Jesus is alive and he's coming back. Friends, you've got to firm up those foundations. You've got to know that because that is the gospel. And so you've got to start there. You've got to firm up your first principles. Now, once you do that, you've got some, some more homework to do. Ready? Then you start adding. You start adding. You start building, right? We start building. We start building. How, how, do, we, how do we build upon those foundations? Well, it's, it's, really, it's not a complicated formula. You spend time with Jesus. Like, I, I know it sounds crazy. Well, I go to church. They keep telling me to spend time with Jesus. Yeah, it's kind of the answer. Welcome. You can come back next week. We'll tell you the same thing. Go spend time with Jesus, right? And this is what happens. We, we, we begin to pray. How do I do that? Well, you pray and, and you worship. Begin to ask God to search you. 
And this is a key right here, man. You, you, you give God access to all of your life and see what happens, man. He, he will turn you upside down in a glorious, godly way. Give him access, right? I like to say this about my Christian friends because I'm one of you. Um, we like to live a Christian uh, living room lives. You know what I'm saying? You know what a living room life is? Somebody calls you and says, hey, I'm going to stop by in 20 minutes. You know what you do? You clean the living room, right? It's good. You go, uh, quickly, kids, go clean the guest bathroom. So they clean the guest bathroom just in case that person has to pee when they come over, right? So the bathroom is clean, first time in a week. Um, and, and now I picked up the living room. And then what you do with all the rest of it? You shut the doors, right? That's called living room life. And so, so the person comes in and they're, oh, wow, your house is glorious and beautiful. As long as you don't open any other doors, you're right. Right, And the only way that gets messed up is if your kid goes in the bathroom and, ha- and locks the door and is, is in there and all of a sudden the, your guest is like, I really have to go to the bathroom. And that's when you lie through your teeth and say, I'm sorry, four bedrooms, only one bathroom. <laughs> I can't believe it either. I would have thought they'd stuck something on the master, you know, but it is what it is. Sorry, Lord. Guys, we do that with God so often. Man, we do that with God so often. We wonder why God is just not working like crazy in our lives. We don't give him access to hardly anything. We're like, well, here, God, yeah, you can have this like churchy part of me. Be in control of that. You can pick out what I wear, I guess. Who cares what you wear? What do you, what do you normally wear? Like when you leave this place, what are you going to go change into? Why did you not get up and, and, I mean, as long as it's appropriate, you know what I'm saying? That should be in church. Why did, why did you get up dressed and fancy? Like if you're going to go home and take all that off, ladies, just come that way. Right? Trust me, I hate these pants. I can't stand them. But there's a bunch of religious people that think the pastor should have to stand up in fancy pants. Right? Drives me nuts. Fancy pants and fancy shoes. I, dude, I want some like flip-flops or something. Just come and be who you are. Let Jesus work on you, right? And, and, and hear me, all this stuff, when you start listening to, to Jesus and you're starting to add these things, all that stuff, that's all verb. It's all, it's all verbiage, right? So it says, add, add your faith, goodness. You know what that is? That's good being done. That's a verb. It's action. So I'm building goodness. You know how you build goodness? By practicing being good. Do you know how you, how you build faithfulness in your life? You take faith and you practice it. Isn't that amazing? You just take faith and you do it. It's not that hard. And, and, and you do love and you just go do it. And you start building these things up in your life. And more and more, all of a sudden, you look in the mirror and you're starting to see a temple. Staring right back at you, bringing glory to God in all that you do because you're actually doing the things of God, not just talking about them. Whoo! That's a whole nother message for a whole nother day. 1208, we gotta go, which is number three. Ready? Go. 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 Not yet. Not yet. Hold on. We're Baptists. We gotta take up an offering, all right? It's, it's coming. Listen, I gotta pay, we gotta pay the bills somehow. So, uh, go. Now, uh, we just finished a little, a little series on Wednesday night called Unstuck. Uh, Mark Batterson was teaching. He was talking about National Community Church, which is his church. He says, you know, we have a motto at our church. Ready? Here's the motto. Go, set, ready. He's like, I know it's backwards, right? We're, our motto is ready, set, go. He says, no, here's the motto. Go, set, ready. Go, set, ready. And it's so right in line with all these other things I've, I've been reading. God's been bringing to, to, to my attention. You know, when Jesus looked at the disciples, uh, Matthew 28, 18, uh, through 20, we call it the Great Commission. And he said, go and make disciples of all nations. He told them, go change the world. You know, he said it to 11 disciples, not 12. 
12 was, was a Jewish number of completion. You've got everything that you need. Judas has hung himself. There's only 11. He looks at 11 guys that go, God, we're not, we're not ready. We're not sure. We, we can't do this. And he looks at him. He says, no, no, you go. You go now. Don't go when you're ready. Friends, I know so many Christians that are trying to build. They're just, well, listen, I'm going to go once I get here. I'm going to go once I do this. I'm going to go once I hear. You know what God says? He says, go. He says, go. And as you go, you're going to be building. It's, it's a process, but he says, go. He doesn't say, get ready, get set, go. He says, go. Just go. And, and I want to tell you this, this truth and, and just, just write this down somewhere. There is somebody in your life this week that they do not need to hear from a finished product. Somebody in your life this week, they don't need to hear from a finished product. They need to hear from a work in progress. And so you need to go as you are. Because there are people all over this city, they don't need a finished, shining temple to look down at them and say, oh yeah, this is how you do it. They need somebody that's in the ditch right now of life, and they're doing it, and they're making it through it because of the presence of God in their lives. And they need that person to speak to them and say, listen, I'm not done, but God's not finished. And he's got a plan for you too. And he's got a plan for you too. So go. Go. Would you guys pray with me?